welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning and welcome back to the podcast. It's Jessica. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means so much for you to join us here every week. We've had a lot of new reviews coming in, which I really appreciate, and people sharing the show. Thank you so much. My goal here is to really put out content that will really inspire you and encourage you. And if you know any other moms that may also want that same type of inspiration in their life, please share the show with them. It means so much. I want to bring to you an amazing episode today with Katherine Hansen. Katherine is the founder of Moda Baby Leggings. It's the perfect leggings that are darling and really functional for any new crawler. But not only is she a CEO of that company, she's a mom, she's a wife, and she's a survivor of child abuse. And now she advocates on the part of the child for child abuse prevention. And she wants to raise awareness about that issue. This is a little bit tougher of a topic to cover, but it's a really important one. And I love the work she's doing, her bravery, and I know you're going to be so inspired by her story. So let's get to it with Catherine. All right. I want to welcome Catherine Hansen today. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited to be chatting with you this morning. Where am I speaking to you from today? So you are speaking to me uh, from my kitchen table um, at our house on uh, Folly Beach, which is just about 20 minutes outside of Charleston, South Carolina, mm. um, in the middle of the mess that usually goes on on a Wednesday. There so. you go. There you go. You clear <laughs> yeah. out this space. One time I was Skyping with a mom from our kitchen table, and we did a video at that time. And uh, I'm like, wow, your kitchen looks so clean. And then she just tilted her computer just slightly. <laughs> And it wasn't like a bomb went off on the other half of the kitchen, but she'd cleared off this space so that it did look a little bit orderly in the, in the actual screenshot. But I get that. I get that. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I may have done that uh, myself. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, we used to live in Virginia, and one of my biggest regrets is not making the drive to Charleston. I hear it's just a lovely place. It is. And we really enjoyed living here. Um, it kind of has this deep aloha spirit to it, mm. you know, more so than any other places in the South. Um, and we've been, we keep getting voted number one city in, in the United States. And I think a couple times we've been voted in the world. Wow. And it's, it's great and all. Um, You're like, stop telling people, people about us. <laughs> and people keep moving, and, and we're having some real population density issues because mm. we're such an old city. Um, we can't just knock down buildings and build new, new ones and expand roadways because we are surrounded by water um, almost on all sides. So we've got some issues to sort out with the big boom that's going on here, but um, on our little island, we're kind of sequestered from that and um yeah it's a great place but the people are coming let me tell you yeah. well I'll try and stay away then <laughs> no no please come please come. come visit and then and then go home yeah. don't move here though I get it well Catherine I'm really fascinated by your story and I cannot wait for people to hear more but will you just give a little background for people that aren't familiar with who you are yeah, so my name is Katherine Hansen. Um, I am the owner and founder of Motobaby.com. Um, and what we strive to do at Motobaby, well, not Motobaby.com, we have a website and that's our web address. Uh, but what we strive to do is make um, uh, 
kind of solutions, well uh, thought out and, and designed solutions for some of the problems that babyhood presents. And our first product line is something called the Grip Start Leggings, and they're crawling leggings for babies and toddlers. And so um, what I've done is inserted gripper fabric into uh, the knee and the seat area of, of, um, of the le- of leggings, essentially. So when babies are learning to crawl and sit and climb and scoot and doing all the things that babies do when they are moving around your home or a play area, they have some added grip and stability um, for, for what they're doing. Um, and I developed this product when my son was about six months old and when he was starting to do all this. And, um, you know, I just didn't see on the market one that looks good. And also nothing was really addressing the slip issue and especially nothing was really, um, you know, addressing the slip issue for where, for when they're scooting or when they're learning to walk and they plop down and they might slip and whack their head and (laughs) all these little anxieties that run through your head when your child is moving around your house. Um, so I, I found a seamstress, we created a prototype and it worked so well and it just, looks so good and we just kept getting so many requests for it that I decided to to make it my business um and fortunately I'm, I'm glad I did that because my son was crawling till he was almost 18 months old he was just one of those really intrepid crawlers and he went everywhere and uh with us all the time and he just did not have a lot of um you know nothing really held him back when it came to crawling and climbing and doing all those things and and our life at the time was really kind of busy. My husband was in the process of selling his business. And then we were living between two houses going back and forth between Charleston and Aiken, South Carolina, which is where my husband's business was. And so our lives were just not stay in one place, perfect, nicely packaged in a box. And so I really wanted some playwear for Reese. That's my son's name. He's now three. Um, that could hold up to all that we were doing, all the, all of our activities and everything um, that he was into. Um, you know, there's some, when your child is crawling around and exploring their environment, there are obviously some limitations that you have to put on them, but I just wanted him to kind of get that confidence and go out and do it. Um, and, uh, but I was, I just had these anxieties about him slipping and falling and busting his lip when he would crawl on a, like a hardwood surface or a tile, um, and normal leggings or denim. Um, so by creating the grip start leggings, it was just such a solution to kind of this like everyday anxiety I was having for this time. Sure. Um, and we ended up grading our size up to 2T. And they're still some of my favorite leggings to put him in when I can squeeze his three-year-old leg yeah. <laughs> um, in them. Because we use a bamboo fabric, which um, I don't know if you or any of your listeners have ever used a bamboo fabric for any of their clothing. But it's, they're, it's so durable. And aside from being a sustainable fabric source, it's just such an ideal uh, fabric for children's clothing. It breathes really easily. It's naturally hypoallergenic. Um, it's just the, the perfect play wear um, you know, the play, perfect playwear fabric for these leggings. So, so that's our first product line. Um, we're, and we're also currently in development with a romper concepts because I love rompers. I kind of love them myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, would love to see how that translates, um, how our leggings translate into a romper concept. Um, so that's something um, that you can look to see from us in the next six months, hopefully. I love um, that. Yeah, we actually launched in September of last year, um, and we uh, we sell on our website, motobaby.com, and we recently have started doing a wholesale line with Amazon. So, awesome. Um, 
yeah, that's kind of one of the big irons in my fire right now. <laughs> that's so great. I think the best ideas come out of moms trying to solve their own problems, right? And you're like, okay, I don't want clothes yeah. to be inhibiting my child from exploring and, you know, doing all those things the baby should do, but I have three boys, so I get it. They wear through those knees oh, and God. those clothes so <laughs> fast. So yeah, I get that. They, so I think that's a great solution. We're going to dive deeper into your childhood because that's really where your story starts and how that impacts and has gotten you where you are today. So will you just, can you just open up a little bit about your childhood and what that was like for you growing up? Yeah. So, um, let's see. I grew up for the most part in a a college town of Auburn, Alabama. It's where Auburn University is. Um, and you know, the, uh, the best way I could kind of describe my upbringing is trying to walk on eggshells inside of a pressure cooker that is a strap to a roller coaster. Mm. Um, the house I grew up in was just incredibly turbulent and there was a lot of abuse, emotional, verbal, and at times physical abuse. Um, my parents are kind of what I, well, I think this is kind of an industry term with mental health, but they're, they're, they're what you call uh, street saints, meaning they look very high functioning, look like normal people on the outside. They have great careers. We went to church multiple times a week, you know, drove the right cars, went to the right private schools. But all of that growing up was just a facade. And what was going on inside of our house was just a nightmare. Mm. And my father actually, I didn't know this till I was in college when he was officially diagnosed, but he um, has something called borderline personality disorder, and this is kind of it, this is a, a, a an emotional disorder that goes largely undiagnosed because many people who have it are very accomplished people, very high functioning, but they can be incredibly abusive to the people they love, and and essentially the way that um, I can best describe it is that they just have extreme. Um, insecurity. And so their behavior goes through this pattern of, um, you know, really deep, low lows, projecting their own insecurity on other people, a lot of emotional, verbal, physical abuse, and then deep remorse, begging for forgiveness, and then an emotional high, and then a period of kind of um, adoration, where they just love on the people around them so much, and then the cycle starts all over again, where suddenly you're, um, you know, not good enough, not worthy, they suck you into that type of insecurity. So I and my my sister and my brother, we grew up in that type of cycle always, Mm. where you may be praised one minute, but the next day could just be a nightmare and you know you could come home from school and think that you've done a you've done a good job you've gotten a good grade on a test or um you know a you know you you, it's just a normal day and you could walk into all of a sudden you're just no better than a piece of trash on the floor and the next few hours could be filled with a parent just going after you (laughs) and you know left totally broken and when you're raised like that, um, it, it can be just devastating to people. There are many uh, individuals who have had parents with this disorder that, you know, suffer from severe uh, emotional and mental disorders, depression, suicide. I mean, it, it's just, it, it can, it's 
you know, can really wreak havoc on families and especially children who are raised in that environment. Um, and, um, you know, my father is who I identify as kind of the main abuser, but they have also had, don't have my mother in my life for a lot of reasons. And, um, and that's, that's still something I'm figuring out with my father. It's, it's very, um, you know, I, I can identify kind of what the problems were, but with my mother, I just never knew how to make her happy. Um, and that's something I'm still kind of working in therapy about <laughs> like yeah. what exactly went wrong with that relationship. Why couldn't I make her happy? Why didn't I feel loved by her? Why didn't I feel accepted? Um, and so that was just kind of the ethos of our house. Like, you know, everything could be fine one second, but you couldn't trust that moment. You couldn't trust that moment of goodness because the next moment, the next day, the next week, the bottom would fall out. Um, and my parents divorced when I was about 13 and, and before when they were, were married, there was kind of like a little bit of a glue that kind of kept it all from becoming like <laughs> a nuclear reactor situation. Mm. Um, you know, the kind of idea, well, you know, people know us as married, so we kind of have to like tone it down a little bit. But once my parents divorced, you know, that whole time period and years after were just uh, very intense and very, um, it was, it was just very difficult to navigate because we, myself, my brother, my sister were constantly being used by each parent to hurt the other. Mm. Um, and not just little comments here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, they would drag us to court and make us give testimonies against the other parents and threaten, you know, retaliation and, um, and, uh, and eventually when I was 16, I just, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. I realized I just have to get out of this. I can't, um, you know, I can't live like this. <laughs> this is not sustainable living in a place of fear all the time, always being fearful of your safety. Um, and then also realizing I'm more emotionally healthy than, than the adults who are supposed to be helping me grow into the person I'm supposed to become. Um, and that's a really scary reality to realize when you're 16. <laughs> sure. And um, as a child, so, you really only know what your normal is. And so was it when you were 16 that you really realized this isn't just like society, society's normal. This is, this is not right. Right. There, you know, there's something within me that realized that this is not the norm and it was going, you know, growing up, spending time with my friends and at their homes and seeing how their parents interacted with them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was, I, I knew that love was not where I lived, but I knew it was somewhere else. Mm. Um, and I never experienced it personally within my life, but I had seen it. Um, and always in the back of my mind, I just always repeated to myself, like when I grow up, when I am married, when I have my child, um, this is not going to be my life. And, Mm. and, when, and all of this horribleness that I'm living in is going to be re- repaired by this perfect life, perfect family that I'm going to have one day. Mm. So that was kind of, you know, that combined with I know there's better out there that, and I just need to get away and 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 find a better better place to to allow myself to kind of recover and figure out who I am. That's kind of that's what drove me through and. I had the opportunity to go to boarding school when I was 16 um, in Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, at a school called the Bowl School, which um, was is world renowned for its uh, swim program. I was a swimmer, 
um, which was something I was very good at, but you know, at, in my family of overachievers and perfection is required. It just, in hindsight, I, I realized that it, it wasn't an extension of the abuse um, that went on in our house, but to me, that was my ticket out, mm-hmm. <laughs> was to go be a part of this one program, to go live in a, in a boarding program. Um, and, 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 and every since the word or the phrase, going to Bulls saved my life. Um, it was for the first time that I was able to um, unclench my fists to kind of relax and kind of unpack everything that I had lived through up until that point. Um, and I, I actually um, had was depressed for um, <laughs> about six months after I got there because I began to kind of realize, oh my gosh, like what did I just live through? What, did, you know, it, it, all this trauma you know, you store it in not only your emotions, but also your body. And all of that had to come out um, once I got there. But like I said, it was the first time in my life when I began to actually look around or look at myself and say, well, who am I? And what do I want aside Mm. from all this pain and hurt and need to get away? Um, So I owe everything to that school and, and the dorm moms that, um, I, who were there, who took care of us. And, you know, that was my first time I ever, you know, would it interacted with normal kind of adults who are kind of in a caregiver type of role mm-hmm. and they were just wonderfully supportive. And, wow. um, so that was, that's kind of what set me on my journey to self-realization and, and finding out who I am aside from, um, from, you know, this, everything that I came from. Sure. And so you really went the route of striving for perfectionism and throwing yourself into swimming and things like that versus going the opposite direction and kind of repeating the same patterns of abuse Mm -hmm. and kind of rebelling in a way. Why do you think you chose the perfectionism route or have have you been able to figure that out? Yeah. And I, I, you know, just through um, therapy and just all the research that I, I've just been doing on, um, you know, adult survivors of child abuse is that, you know, fear and shame are probably two of the, the most motivating factors for human beings. And so, um, kind of what I learned in my childhood is that if I was as perfect as I could be, meaning, uh, as perfect in school, as perfect at home, as perfect in the pool, um, as you know, I, I had eating disorders for many years that started uh, when I was 11 because um, weight was another thing that was highly monitored in our house. Um, you know, if I could, you know, look a certain way or have my number on the scale be less than it was the day before, then that would earn me some sort of love and, ad- and adoration. Yeah. So I grew up always functioning from a place of deficit and from a place of fear, um, thinking, you know, that is what is going to, you know, let me kind of get through today without another round of, um, like verbal harassment. Um, so that's just how I learned to survive was doing those things. Um, and those things seem to be most highly prized by my father. Mm. Um, so I just did it out of fear and need to be loved and, and a need to be accepted by him. Um, which is just, a daughter should never feel that way about her father. Yeah. Um, as I've realized, but yeah, right. But that <laughs> takes that time. Was just how I survived. And, yeah. um, you know, over time, and, but when you operate for so long from a place of fear, that's not sustainable mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And so and that's another thing I real, you know, realized going to boarding school and going to college is how to learn to, um, you know, how to, um, you know, 
pursue what you love and and pursue what makes you you um, and try as you know this is something I'm still tr- struggling with you know getting that voice out of my head that tells me you know you have to be perfect all the time or you have to be do a certain amount of things per week or per day to feel like worthy of being able to sit on the couch for a minute and read a book yeah. <laughs> um, but that's you know like you know, going back to your question um, just trying to be as perfect or as high or as together in this type A was essentially what kept me um, safe to a certain extent. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so as you had these dysfunctional relationships and these dysfunctional relationship models that you were seeing, how did that impact who you dated, the friends you chose, things like that? Were you self-aware enough to realize what was healthy for you and what was serving you? Or did you kind of fall into some traps? Um, let's see. You know, uh, with, you know, relationships, we, with friendships, you know, I certainly had my share of mean girls who were, were not kind and that certainly had negative lasting, uh, impacts. But for the most part, I've always had very close girlfriends who were a source of strength for me and, Mm. and they would, they would know when I would come back to my dorm or from a break or a holiday and they would know bad that just by how I would carry myself that bad things would happen and that they would sit and cry with me. And, and, um, you know, so with friendships with, you know, my roommates and, and friends who I met along the way, you know, they're, they're still very close to me and, and they, I essentially had considered them for a long time, my family, yeah. um, because I didn't have, you know, a lot of close family that I could really trust. And so my friendships became, yeah, my friendships with my girlfriends became, you know, they're like my family. Um, and with dating relationships, you know, that's, I, you know, complicated, (laughs) you know, it was complicated because, um, the way that we, that I was raised is that what matters the most is, is other people's opinions. Mm. And so, you know, my normal, my dating experience and, and starting out in that time of my life as a teenager, it was not about, well, you know, what do you like about this person? Or, or do you think this relationship is right for you? Or does this relationship make you feel good about yourself? And, or is it healthy? It was all about feeling light and over anything else. And so when you become so concerned with feeling liked by um, who you're trying, who you're dating or going out with, you lose sight of your own place within that relationship. You lose sight of your own feelings and if this is healthy or good for you. Um, and I certainly struggled a lot with that. And it, you know, when you do that, it can, it can be easy to be taken advantage of. And so for the most part, I've had healthy relationships, but there were certain relationships, especially in college, where I was so concerned with being liked and coming off like the perfect girlfriend or like the perfect like person that you should be dating that I didn't really stop to think, you know, do I actually want to be with this person? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course I did to, you know, to put myself in that situation, but um, it, you know, it didn't leave room for me to ask, is this the right relationship for me? Is this the right person for me? Um, and, um, you know, there was one in particular where I didn't realize that until we were actually like living together and after college and all this stuff. And, and, and that is, you know, it was just really hurtful when eventually that relationship ended, but 
Sure. You know, it had its pitfalls, but just through the whole process, you know, I believe like every relationship and every mistake, every failure teaches you something and you need, it can be very easy to be closed off to the lesson that um, failure is here to teach you or that a broken relationship is here to, here to teach you. And so I, you know, just through every, every stage of, of my life and particularly with relationships, I just try to take away all right, what am I supposed to learn from this? Yeah. <laughs> that's certainly an area that where I benefited from that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And and then those trials and those circumstances don't get wasted. They're they're used for your betterment and your refinement, which which I love. And so by the time you got married and found the person that you wanted to start your life with, you were really hopeful about the future, weren't you? Yeah, very. And it's funny, um, you know, my husband and I met, um, so my, he was actually a long time, uh, friend of my stepmother's. And when she and my, my dad got married, uh, at the time, obviously my dad was still in my life. Um, uh, which is a whole other, um, uh, topic of discussion, but, um, yeah, so they had, they got married, I think in 2012 and, and he came to, uh, their wedding and we met then and um, and about a, re- a year later we reconnected and started dating and it's funny like when we when we met and started dating I could feel those issues of insecurity and needing to be perfect and mm. um, I could feel that coming up and I was like you know what I'm going to try something different this time I'm just not going to worry about it I'm not going to sweat it I'm just going to be myself and you know just kind of carry it very loosely you know and uh, just see what happens and turns out he's the one I got, you know, <laughs> we ended up getting married yeah. and having a son together. So obviously something went right there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we got married. So we, um, started dating and, uh, decided we wanted to be together, got engaged soon after we found out we were, uh, expecting our son, um, which was wonderful and just such an exciting time. Um, and we, um, so my when my son was born first of all I have to say that that in and of it, in and of itself was just such a spiritual experience um you know it's not many people are blessed with the ability to naturally conceive and carry and and give birth to a child so I was very grateful for that I, I didn't take that for granted for granted at all but um there was just a moment when we you know we'd come home from the hospital and I was at home alone with Reese Frank, my husband, he had gone to the grocery store and we were just by ourselves for an hour. I just held him on the couch and just cried. And it was tears of relief, tears of sadness about my own life as a child and as a baby and, and just tears of hope for him. And I just have felt so many times since he was born that through him, I'm able to see a love that I will never be able to be ripped apart from. Mm. Um, meaning not just my love for him or his love for me, but you know, I've, my life, you know, I'm not a perfect person. I've made a mess of things in my life many times over, but the fact that, that I was blessed with this beautiful, healthy child is, it was like returning to a love that has been there the whole time. Mm. Um, and it's just the most tangible, um, you know, manifestation of God's love and grace. Mm. And, um, anyway, so that was just, uh, that just blew me away. That just blew me open in so many ways. And, but 
so many times in my life I felt, you know, I may be in a really difficult place now. I may be so sad. I may be so broken. But one day, my, my the life I create with my own family, with my husband and my my kids, is going to be so different. We're going to be so happy, and all of this is going to go away. All of this will just be a bad memory. Um, and as you know, we get in, you know, kind of the rose tints off of your glasses as a parent kind of wears off. You get into what day to day life is like. I began to notice that suddenly I was almost thrust back into reliving these moments of abuse. Um, I was essentially having flashbacks um, mm. that were triggered by my son or my husband or my how my husband interacting with my son. Mm. Um, for example, when my husband would take Reese to get a diaper change and maybe he was fussy that moment or whatever was going on and I hear, would hear Reese cry from the other room, it would, I would in my mind be immediately transported to being eight years old and hearing my brother and my sister cry in the next room because of something my father was doing to them. Mm. And it, it's just such anxiety that just comes up and you, and it literally feels like you are back in that place and time, even though you're not, <laughs> even though you're sitting in your right. own house and you're looking at all your things emotionally, there's just the storm inside that is screaming like something bad is going on here. Um, and similar episodes just over time just kept happening. And around that same time, my son was about three months. Um, we, um, uh, essentially I, there was something that happened with my dad where he, um, he decided to leave my stepmom for the woman he was having an affair with. And my stepmom is someone who I'm very close to. And she was essentially the saving grace of the relationship with my dad for so long. Mm. Um, because she was just everything. My mother is not very warm, very maternal, just very interested in, and me and my brother and my sister. And she's just wonderful. And I, I cling to her like, like she's my own mother, um, in many ways. And so that was just so devastating because, Another part of my story that I haven't shared is that for many years I would not speak up or tell anybody as I got older about what would go on with my dad because I didn't want his relationship with Alexis, that's her name, to end. Mm -hmm. And I was very terrified of that because I also saw her as like a great white hope that one day like we could all be a family yeah. because she's so wonderful and so loving and nurturing. And um, so, at, so I'm starting to have these kind of flashbacks and then at the same time this big incident happens with my dad that just suddenly I have to deal with you know the reality of what my life was like with my dad and who he actually was I need and I realized that I need to call this what it was this was child abuse there's no way of getting around it and to get to the other other side I just had to really reprocess everything I mean it literally felt like you know, before my world had maybe been built on like a, a shoddy foundation. <laughs> right, right. And then there was, you know, this breeze that, that blew on the house and it all fell down. And, and, um, so I was, I had just an emotional mess that was going on for, um, for, for, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was when my, my son was a baby. And so, so I was dealing with these, this extreme uh, emotional painful painful time um and meanwhile feeling like I'm having these like 
flashbacks and I don't even understand what's going on. I don't understand why I'm having them. Sometimes they just come out of nowhere. Um, and one day after a few months of dealing with this and just being sick of crying all the time, (laughs) I, I Googled, um, parenting as a child abuse survivor, because I felt like there must be something about this parenting aspect that I'm not factoring in yet, because as I'm going through these wonderful milestones with my son, I'm, I'm reminded of, of maybe what my own childhood was like or what my own parents or what my previous experience of all this has been as a child. Um, it turns out this is actually a thing that um, a lot of adult survivors of, chi- of child abuse report having flashbacks or um uh, or uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that is often triggered by their children or by their spouse, you know, and their children together, the kind of the combined um, thing. So, so that was kind of, that was a great relief to know that I'm not the only one who feels this, right. um, but that there are many of us out there who um, are, have, who are experiencing this and that, um, you know, just learning more about their stories and learning more, getting more connected with these organizations um, has just been, uh, they've been a great well of, of, of information. Um, you know, it just helps so much to find out information about, um, you know, what you've lived through because it can be so isolating and you think you're so alone and, and you don't see anybody around you with these sorts of experiences. And then just to find out that there's a whole community that's out there that says, me too, me too, me too. It's right. just, it can be, uh, it can give you some hope. <laughs> sure, absolutely. And were you telling your husband about these flashbacks you were having? And if so, what was his response to when you were having this anxiety? Yeah, so first of all, my husband, love him dearly, but he did not know how to relate to this at all. He grew up and like, leave it to Beaverland. And he, you know, his family his experience with his family of origin is much different than mine. His is very uh, wholesome and nurturing and, and not filled with any sort of disappointment um, like mine is. So, And this was really the first time in his life where he had to learn the meaning of the phrase emotional support <laughs> yeah. before he was like, what is that? How, you know, how do I even do that? Because, you know, from a typical man's perspective, they just want to like give you suggestions on how to fix it. And so at first it was rough because I was trying, I was coming at him with these highly emotional things and I need to talk about it and I need to cry about it. I need you to just sit here and hold my hand. But he's looking at it as like, well, uh, I can't do anything, anything to fix this. So you just need to hurry up and get over it, which is like the last thing you want to hear from your spouse when you are going through something just so tremendous. Um, but over time and, and just, he has learned to, you know, not try to fix it, not try to rationalize it in any way, but to just sit, listen, hold my hand and look at me and say, like, you're, you're doing great. You're going to get through it. We're in this together. Our family is going to be different. So, um, I think that's really an important point to point out is that we can't expect everyone in our lives to always respond in the best way if they're confronting it for the very first time, you know? And so sometimes there's a learning curve involved with that. And the most important thing is that they're invested in trying to help us and in trying to figure out what their role is or is not sometimes. Um, yeah. And it's that that investment and that love and that support that is critical. But giving them the grace and the space to also realize 
they don't know what they're doing any more than we know what we're doing going down this path. So kind of Uh giving them a little bit more um, acknowledgement that, you know, our tendency might be to kind of jump on them for not doing all the right things or saying all the right things, but they don't know what they're doing any better than we do. So I think it's a really important thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just as the same way as we want grace and, and to, to change and evolve over time and become better people as we continue to live. Um, oftentimes I find that we're not, we don't, we're not very reciprocal in that. Yeah. Our close, you know, like our spouses or, um, our friends and, and that's certainly something that we had to, um, had to work on and I needed to be okay feeling vulnerable to whatever his reaction is. And I know Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a bad reaction or something that he means in the negative because he loves me. He's my husband. Um, and, uh, but you know, it can be (laughs) challenging. It it was just something that we had to learn to do uh, to be better at together. Yeah, absolutely. And so once you identified that this was not healthy, you needed help, how did you go about getting help and what does that road look like up to the present? Yeah, so like I said, just learning more information um, about one, child abuse, also, um, you know, what that looks like as a parent sometimes and um, just following these organ one organization that I follow is called uh, parenting with PTSD mm. and it was started by two um, adult survivors of child sexual abu- sexual abuse um, and they were just having these horrible flashbacks that were triggers is what they call them sometimes um, that were brought on by their children that they thought they kind of dealt with in the past and suddenly it was all coming up again um, and they were really the first organization that I, I found out about and, and became connected with. And they actually recently published a book called the trigger points anthology. And it's a collection of, of stories from other uh, survivors of adult survivors of child abuse and what their abuse experience was like and, and how that, had, how that showed itself um, in their parenting. Um, so one information um I and also I just learned that I have to be when incredibly mindful of my thoughts when um I feel the storm coming because it really feels like the storm of confusion hurt pain and anger that just takes over your brain and you don't even know which end is up and it can for me it has physical manifest manifestations mm. because I can find it very difficult to breathe sometimes I feel like my vision kind of narrows. I essentially get into a fight or flight type of, um, t- uh, you know, physical space where I feel my body reacting in uh, like a fight or flight way. Um, so when I just feel it coming and over time, I've learned this, this did not happen overnight. Um, I just have to be incredibly, incredibly mindful of my feelings. Know that something just happened outside that I just am hearing or witness that is outside of my control. Nothing bad has happened, but the, these feelings are coming, and I just need to accept them. And accept. And what I mean by that is, um, I just need to accept that this is presenting itself. It doesn't mean that these thoughts that are taking over my mind are that they it doesn't mean that they define me it doesn't mean that I am these thoughts it's just these thoughts I'm I'm having these thoughts now and guess what I'm gonna have more thoughts in five minutes you know and that allows me to step back and just observe in a very non-judgmental way um so that I can just 
kind of not get so consumed by it. It may be here now. It may be affecting me now. It may be giving me some discomfort, but um, I can step back and observe these thoughts. And guess what? They're soon going to pass. Um, obviously, meditation has helped that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I do meditation from time to time. I, I have an app on my phone called the Meditation Studio app. And um, it's just anywhere you need to do it. You, I've literally done it <laughs> like in the floor of my bathroom sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, just I just find that I have to be incredibly... Uh, present with myself and and if something happens and there are certain things I know will always trigger kind of a little moment and and I've identified what those things are um, and just by being present and mindful I've been able to stay in the moment and separate um, the abuse and pain and trauma that I've suffered from what's actually happening in front of me. I've also found a lot of relief and, and comfort and, and writing. I've always been a writer. Um, but just getting it out of your head sometimes <laughs> is incredibly helpful because that way it's living somewhere else other than your, your mind or in, in your physical being. It's living on a Word doc on your computer or on a Post-it note. Um, and also, uh, you know, with speaking also. So, uh, you know, with this opportunity with your podcast and, and also with a few local organizations, um, just sharing my story um, is also something that's been very cathartic. Um, I just think that something within me was left untouched in all of this, and that brought about a bunch of hope, but also resiliency. And, you know, I, for whatever reason, I've just been given this gift of just eternal optimism, resiliency, just keeping going. And so if I can use those gifts to speak out about what I'm experiencing, I'm hoping I just hope that that will give some hope and shed some light on some things that maybe some other people may be struggling with and may not be able to, um, you know, to do that for themselves. So, Sure. Um, I think and, those are such yeah. wonderful tips. And regardless, and I would doubt that most of the listeners have experienced a life like yours, um, but we've all been through things, right? We've all faced our own set of circumstances and challenges and adversities that have shaped who we are. And some of those things are things we've worked through and some of us are kind of still either stuffing them down or working through, bringing them to the surface, things like that. And so yeah. regardless of how how deep the wound is or how significant you, you might deem it, um, you know, you might say, well, I didn't endure child abuse. So, I, you know, I don't have reason to go to therapy or, or be stressed or have anxiety or anything. No, everyone has their own walk and their own journey and people can met, can people can truly change their whole life by really identifying what is the narrative in their head and identifying the thought. So if you're prone to anxiety, regardless of how severe it is, recognizing those thoughts and say, okay, this is a trigger. What am I going to think instead? What am I going to do instead? And, uh-huh. and having those coping mechanisms, I think that is just universally helpful and healthy for all people. Oh, certainly. I, I really believe in, and you know, and getting to the heart of, of a problem mm-hmm. and really facing it head on and and naming it, like locating it, mm-hmm. <laughs> crying with it, dancing with it, laughing with it, like really wrestling with it. Because, you know, even if someone hasn't endured like a bunch of trauma like, like I have, you know, everyone, like you said, everyone's got things that they, that's kind of bothering them or issues that they've never addressed that may be holding them back. And 
and I've, you know, had to encourage friends and even my husband to do this with some things that have been negative in his life. And, um, you know, when you, when you name the ghost and deal and acknowledge it's, you know, acknowledge its presence, then usually it goes away. Yes. <laughs> it go away, but it, it becomes a friendly ghost. Yeah, the fear so, of like, thinking about the thing. Yeah, the fear of thinking about the thing is often scarier than the thing itself. So just confronting mm-hmm. it can really help you get over that hurdle. Absolutely. And so now as a mom, I know that a lot of these things were brought out since um, you became a mom, but how have you evolved in these last few years as a person and as a mom? How do you view that role in light of this process and this progress that you've made? Yeah, well, it's certainly um, all of this, you know, everything that has gone on in my life and especially in the last few years, um, I, I, I've just, I, I'm a lot more present now, um, meaning that, um, yes, I'm present and aware to the good things and the, the times that are, you know, kind of euphoric and wonderful when your kid's behaving nicely and all that stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also just being, you know, present through the times that are difficult. And when he, you know, when my husband and I might be having a disagreement or when he, or when, you know, Reese pours goldfish all over the backseat of the car, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just, I'm a lot more present. Um, I think I have more of a focus on, on things that actually matter in life. Um, and you know, before, or even before Reese was born. And I think in the few months afterwards, I, I always put the stress on myself to, um, make every situation perfect and know our life together has to be perfect and free of conflict. And we have to, like, everything has to be tied up in a nice, neat little bow because that's how I always, um, had thought of it and that's how that's something that kind of got me through many hard times is thinking well one day my life is going to be perfect and it's going to look like the most beautiful food network show you've ever seen Mm. (laughs) you know with joanna Gaines decorating the set um but that's not life and that's not realistic and so that you know i've learned to adjust that perspective and and our life doesn't have to be perfect and tied up in a neat little bow there are some arguments that my husband and i are always going to have and that's okay and we can learn to you know deal with that and we can still live we can still have a wonderful marriage and a very happy life together in you know in the middle of that, like we can dance with these issues and we can accept they're there and we're probably never going to agree. And that's okay. Um, and you know, certain things in our life may not pan out exactly like the way we thought of them, but I know that they'll turn out much better than they were, you know, than that original plan in the first place. So I'm just a lot more accepting of, of things not being so perfect, Sure. Um, you know, for things, you know, if they're not living up to those expectations, I just have to be like, oh, well, you know, what matters is, is our, our love for each other and our health and, and happiness and the fact that we're all together and we have so much to be thankful for. So, um, I also just, you know, something that does stay with me is that I don't want to give my son a childhood that he has to recover from. I want him to feel like everything he needs to be happy as, a, as an adult and as a person, as a teenager, as a toddler, he learned from, from me, from his dad, from our life together. Um, because that's how I've experienced the opposite. I, as an adult, feel like I've had to unlearn every habit that my childhood taught me, hmm. um, which is 
it's a hurdle you know, to, yeah. to get rid of those uh, perfectionist feelings and need to achieve all the time. Because when you are operate from that mindset so much, you, you miss so much of life and you miss so much of the good stuff. You do. Um, so you do. And so in for... that way, it's, I'm just a lot more present and accepting and, and more full of joy and mm. love and, and, when you operate, Glennon Doyle talks a lot about this, but when you operate from a place of love and abundance, you know, there, you just have more of it and yes. you are a lot more graceful with the things that don't go your way all the time. Absolutely. And so what would you tell that person listening who might be amidst trying to address some things from their past that they know they should deal with and, and mm-hmm. unearth, but it's hard and they're feeling a little stuck? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is I love you and I've been there and I'm here with you and I'm holding your hand and, and I know it's painful and I know there are things you don't want to think about and you don't want to face and it seems so scary, but life, you can make it, you can make through it. You can make it through, you know, life is waiting for you here and now in your brokenness and your pain and your hurt. And it's also waiting for you on the other side. Mm. and and you're capable you are you already have everything you need just start name it see it identify it cry with it laugh with it dance with it it's gonna be okay you can do it yeah I love that and I think there's pain either way right there's pain in stuffing it down and resisting it and not talking about it and there's pain facing it so mm-hmm. which, which, which pain do you want, right? Because if you're stuffing it, there's really, there's really no movement. There's not, no improvement in that. You don't get any further from it. Um, mm-hmm. But at least the pain that comes from facing it and doing something with it and talking about it and being open about it and making changes, it's hard, but there's, there's, there's room for growth and there's room for improvement. And so you kind of just have to say, which one do you want to, which road do you want to go down? Right. And something I will say too, is that, you know, the uh, enlightened ones always walk with a limp, Mm. you know, the people who you know, is the most enlightened people, they have been hurt, you know, they've been rejected from their tribe because they've seen something that they cannot unsee. And I think some of that fear is, well, once I start dealing with this, once I name this, once I call it for what it is, I can't stay in this tribe anymore. This box of the way I was handed to how to see things doesn't fit anymore. Um, and that can be very scary too. I mean, I, my, my grandmother disowned me recently because I chose to identify my father as an abuser Mm. and that was awful. (laughs) That was incredible. Um, and so to lose, but it, you know, yeah, that was painful. And that was a horrible phone call. It, you know, it, it had to happen because I, you know, to live in that, in, in authenticity, um, excuse me, was just crippling. And, you know, I, if I couldn't live out my truth and speak the truth about what happened, you know, and, and have that relationship that I didn't want it, you know, mm. as awful as it was, you yeah. know. So that can also be a fear of people trying to face, you know, something horrible that's going on with them. And, and again, I would just encourage them to say, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you are in great company. And, you know, 
it will be much better on the other side. Right. And for people that do choose to take themselves out of your lives, usually it's not the people that were the most stable, highest level contributors to your life to begin with. Usually there were some other things going on that you kind of were towing the line with a little bit. And um, I've seen that in my own life when people have kind of fallen away for different reasons. And it's like, my life can continue on even without them, knowing that I'm preserving the boundaries that are healthy for me and serving me and serving my family and things like that. And, and new people come in in their, in their place and usually it's quite beautiful because you're living your authentic self. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I love that. And so how has starting your company and choosing to, to pursue your passion projects and things like that, how has that really filled you up in this time in your life where you've come so far and yet I'm sure you probably feel like you still have a ways to go as well. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think any entrepreneur, uh, will say that, you know, yes, on Instagram or on your website, you look like things are going amazing, but on the inside you're like, no, actually like (laughs) it's hard. (laughs) We've had some hurdles. Um, you know, with my business, I, I see this as my biggest boat on the world that I want to see. Um, and you know, the change that I want to affect and, and I'm using it as a platform to, to speak out um, about child abuse and to advocate for child abuse survivors um, because that's just a, a cause that is so near and dear to my heart. Um, there are some great organizations now that are child advocacy, advocacy centers that work with children who are in abusive situations and help to heal them and also help them be in a safe place. Um, And those opportunities, because I think um, our family looked, talked, and acted a certain way, were not afforded uh, to me. And and even though there were reports that went on, I mean, it's hard to... Sometimes I get sucked into the pit of why didn't this happen? Why didn't help come? But that can be kind of not productive. So yeah. what I am trying to do with my business is to speak out about this cause and to speak out of, you know, use it as a platform to speak about my story. Uh, there is a great local organization here called the Low Country uh, Children's Center, which is a child advocacy center here in Charleston, South Carolina. They're actually world renowned for their treatment and prevention and uh, of child abuse. And we have been communicating and looking for the right time to collaborate on a few projects um, and uh, in a way that Motivaby can work and myself and my company can can be an ambassador for them. Um, And so I just am trying to encourage authenticity, quality, um, and also kind of a practicality with with, uh, Motivaby and the products that that we create. I love that. Good work. Look at you go. That's so awesome. I love how it's combining your passion and really fueling from your past and what you want to see a better life for other people, Um, but then also just doing something else that you love too. I love that combination. Well, thank you. I think that's awesome. So where can people find you online? Yeah, so we you can find us on our website. It's modababy.com, M-O-D-A-B-A-B-Y.com. And then we're also on Instagram as Motobaby USA. Uh, we're on Facebook um, as Motobaby USA. 
um, and youth guy, and that's where you can find us and connect with us. Awesome. That's great. And we'll link to everything in the show notes on extraordinarymomspodcast.com so people can check you out there. This has been such an amazing episode, Catherine, and I'm so inspired by your story, and I think it's just amazing. I feel like as a parent – So many times we micromanage and we focus on the things that are really not truly the most important with our kids. You know, we're kind of hypercritical and hyper thinking that, you know, we're on the verge of messing them up all the time, but really just loving them and supporting them and intentionally doing your best. um, It'll be okay. And even if you don't, even if you mess up, right? right, look at you now. You know, you've been able to come out of this and you wouldn't wish this upon anybody and you don't want to repeat the cycle, obviously, but people are resilient and there's always hope for a brighter tomorrow, regardless of what you've been through in the past. And we can offer that same thing to our children. Yes. That's what I, you know, I I read somewhere, I think it was Rob Bell had it in one of his books about freedom and liberation. It's, Mm. It's entering into your own freedom and liberation, whatever that is for you, whether it's emotional, physical, whatever it is, and then passing that on to your family and to your children. Um, and for whatever reason, that phrase and that quote has just stuck with me so much is that I'm entering into my own emotional, mental, physical liberation, and I'm working hard to, to do that for my son. And when I mess up, I tell him and I explain it and I'm accountable I don't run from my humanity as a parent. Mm. Um, so, yes, um, that's just what we're, we're striving to do is to enter into our own freedom and liberation and joy and pass that on for, for our son. Yeah, and you want to be the best version of yourself for him. You know, so you're never going to be perfect. Things are never going to be perfect. But the closer you get to being that best version of yourself, whatever that looks like, that's what you're modeling mm-hmm. for him, that he can work towards that best version of himself as well. And I think that's so encouraging. I love that. Catherine, this has been such a pleasure hearing your story. And I always ask my guests one final question and it's this, what would you tell your pre-motherhood self? I would tell my pre-motherhood self, this is a good question, um, to just relax. (laughs) You do not have it all. You do not have to have it all figured out right now. You do not have to be like this. You do not have to be you know, this executive power woman and her career and the beautiful house and all that stuff, you know, to be qualified to be a mother. Um, I think for, for a long time, I thought in my head that, you know, well, before I have kids, I want to like be the CEO of my own company and be so accomplished and this and that, then I'll be able to relax enough to, to get married and have, um, have a child. But, you know, obviously God had other plans in my, my life thankfully turned out to be different and, and, um, and I just wouldn't have it any other way. So I would certainly tell myself that, you know, it doesn't have to all be perfect in order to accept the invitation that life is handing you. Mm. I love that. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're such an extraordinary mom and an extraordinary person. I really admire the work that you're doing to be the best version of yourself. It's really inspiring. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. I really appreciate this opportunity. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too. I loved that conversation with Catherine so, so much. For such a difficult upbringing and for such a heavy topic, the tendency for people in those types of situations can be to repeat the cycle. And I love that Catherine 
has very intentionally chosen to break the cycle and she has chosen to be an intentional, amazing mom. She's chosen to not let her past define her. She's chosen to create a whole new course of uncharted territory for her life in the most positive way possible. And I admire that so much. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Catherine. Check out Moda Baby Leggings and check her out online as well. You can follow me online at Jessica Dahlquist3 on Instagram or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I haven't been as good about updating that. Sorry, guys. I'm working on it. But then also you can find everything we talked about in the show in our show notes at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com as well as past episodes. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. That way you'll never miss a new episode when they come out. We have new shows coming out every Tuesday and every Friday. This Friday, I'm going to do a few things that I'm loving lately. Some books I'm loving, some online resources, places that I'm shopping lately, and just overall some great new things for you to check out um, in case you need some newness in your life. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is such a joy to bring you these shows every week. And come back next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.